This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Nicole Doolin on the web at NicoleDoolin.com. The Turn of the Screw by Henry James. Chapter 18. The next day, after lessons, Mrs. Gross found a moment to say to me quietly, "'Have you written, miss?' "'Yes, I've written.' But I didn't add, for the hour, that my letter sealed and directed was still in my pocket. There would be time enough to send it before the messenger should go to the village. Meanwhile, there had been, on the part of my pupils, no more brilliant, more exemplary morning. It was exactly as if they had both had at heart to gloss over any recent little friction. They performed the dizziest feats of arithmetic, soaring quite out of my feeble range, and perpetrated in higher spirits than ever geographical and historical jokes. It was conspicuous, of course, in Miles in particular, that he appeared to wish to show how easily he could let me down. This child, to my memory, really lives in a setting of beauty and misery that no words can translate. There was a distinction all his own, and every impulse he revealed. Never was a small natural creature, to the uninitiated eye, all frankness and freedom, a more ingenious, a more extraordinary little gentleman. I had perpetually to guard against the wonder of contemplation, into which my initiated view betrayed me, to check the irrelevant gaze and discouraged sigh, in which I constantly both attacked and renounced the enigma of what such a little gentleman could have done that deserved a penalty, say that, by the dark prodigy I knew, the imagination of all evil had been opened up to him. Oh, the justice within me ached for the proof that it could ever have flowered into an act. He had never, at any rate, been such a little gentleman as when, after our early dinner on this dreadful day, he came round to me and asked if I shouldn't like him, for half an hour, to play to me. David playing to Saul could never have shown a finer sense of the occasion. It was literally a charming exhibition of tact, of magnanimity, and quite tantamount to his saying outright, the true knights we love to read about never push an advantage too far. I know what you mean now. You mean that to be let alone yourself and not followed up. You'll cease to worry and spy upon me. Won't keep me so close to you, or let me go and come. Well, I come, you see, but I don't go. There'll be plenty of time for that. I do really delight in your society, and I only want to show you that I contend for a principle. It may be imagined whether I resisted this appeal, or failed to accompany him again, hand in hand, to the schoolroom. He sat down at the old piano, and played as he had never played. And if there are those who think he had better have been kicking a football, 
I can only say that I wholly agree with them, for at the end of a time that under his influence I had quite ceased to measure, I started up with a strange sense of having literally slept at my post. It was after luncheon and by the schoolroom fire, and yet I hadn't really in the least slept. I had only done something much worse. I had forgotten where all this time was Flora. When I put the question to Miles, he played on a minute before answering, and then could only say, "'Why, my dear, how do I know?' Breaking moreover into a happy laugh, which immediately after, as if it were a vocal accompaniment, he prolonged into incoherent extravagant song. I went straight to my room, but his sister was not there. Then, before going downstairs, I looked into several others. As she was nowhere about, she would surely be with Mrs. Gross, whom, in the comfort of that theory, I accordingly proceeded in quest of. I found her where I had found her the evening before, but she met my quick challenge with blank, scared ignorance. She had only supposed that after the repast I had carried off both the children, as to which she was quite in her right, for it was the very first time I had allowed the little girl out of my sight without some special provision. Of course now indeed she might be with the maids, so that the immediate thing was to look for her without an air of alarm. This we promptly arranged between us. But when, ten minutes later, and in pursuance of our agreement, we met in the hall, it was only to report on either side that after guarded inquiries we had altogether failed to trace her, for a minute there, apart from observation. We exchanged mute alarms, and I could feel, with what high interest my friend returned me, all those I had from the first given her. "'She'll be above,' she presently said, "'in one of the rooms you haven't searched.' "'No, she's at a distance,' I had made up my mind. "'She has gone out.' Mrs. Gross stared. "'Without a hat?' I naturally also looked volumes. Isn't that woman always without one? She's with her? She's with her, I declared. We must find them. My hand was on my friend's arm, but she failed for the moment, confronted with such an account of the matter, to respond to my pressure. She communed, on the contrary, on the spot, with her uneasiness. And where's Master Miles? Oh, he's with Quint. They're in the schoolroom. Lord, miss! My view, I was myself aware, and therefore I suppose my tone, had never yet reached so calm an assurance. The tricks played, I went on. They have successfully worked their plan. He found the most divine little way to keep me quiet while she went off. Divine? Mrs. Gross bewilderedly echoed. "'Infernal, then,' I almost cheerfully rejoined. "'He has provided for himself as well. "'But come.' "'She had helplessly gloomed at the upper regions. "'You leave him?' "'So long with Quint?' "'Yes. "'I don't mind that now.' "'She always ended at these moments by getting possession of my hand, "'and in this manner she could at present still stay me.' But after grasping an instant at my sudden resignation, "'Because of your letter?' 
she eagerly brought out. I quickly, by the way of answer, felt for my letter, drew it forth, held it up, and then, freeing myself, went and laid it on the great hall table. Luke will take it, I said as I came back. I reached the house door and opened it. I was already on the steps. My companion still demurred. The storm of the night and the early morning had dropped, but the afternoon was damp and grey. I came down to the drive while she stood in the doorway. You go with nothing on? What do I care when the child has nothing? I can't wait to dress, I cried. And if you must do so, I leave you. Try, meanwhile, yourself upstairs. With them? Oh, on this, the poor woman promptly joined me. End of chapter 18 Recorded by Nicole Doolan on the web at nicoledoolan.com